there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We're going to jump in here in a minute to this to this parable of the sower. Um, it is actually twofold in nature. All right, w- one reason for this parable, uh, I think that God had it put in the Bible through the Holy Spirit, is to it is, is to show us that Christ came to share the word with everybody. Uh, we don't serve a stingy God who who picks and chooses who's good enough to hear the word. He has us throwing seed everywhere. Uh, to people who are willing to accept his word. When you hear a series on the, the parable of the sower preached, that's normally the angle uh, that, that's taken. But there's a second reason for this parable, and this is the angle we're going to take. It's to show us how the different soils in our own life can actually keep us from sharing God's truth with others. And so that's the angle I want to take throughout this series. Um, I want to talk to you about your heart. And throughout the duration of this series, I want you to continue to ask this question and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. What kind of heart do I have? Because you have one of these four hearts. I have one of these four hearts. Uh, But before we jump back into the parable, I want to talk to you for a second about brownies. Um, Has everybody made brownies before? Yeah, pretty much everybody. And I'm not talking about like the made from scratch. I'm, I'm just talking about like, you know, where you add two eggs and some vegetable oil and, and you bake it. All right. I love brownies. My family loves them. Uh, we do a peanut butter like swirl in ours and it's just like chocolate and peanut butter is the greatest thing ever. Um, and so, so I'm the brownie maker in our house and uh, I, I'll often make them. And, you know, you pull them out of the oven and it just fills the, the kitchen uh, full of just chocolatey, peanut buttery goodness. Um, but you got to let them cool for just a few minutes because if you cut into them too soon, you know, you're just going to make a mess. And so what we do is we, we, we pull the brownies out, we eat dinner, and by that time they're still nice and warm, uh, but you can cut into them. And so I'll take the brownie pan you know, and I'll cut this way a couple slices and then I'll cut down this way. And then the kids come in to get brownies and, and my uh, youngest daughter Hazel is always first in line for this. And so she always or normally gets to pick the first brownie. Do you know which brownie she always picks? Right in the middle. Yes. If you, if you, if you know your brownies, you know that's the, that is like the money brownie. All right, so, and sometimes my oldest daughter will fight her over it, but like she wants the one right in the middle. Okay, so I tell you that to say we're going to jump into this parable, but what we're going to do to start off is we're going to jump kind of right in the middle of the parable, and then we're going to go back to the beginning, and then we're going to come back towards the end of it. But we're going to jump in the middle of the parable because in the middle of it, Jesus is explaining what he means. So, you, you know, he says, all right, so this sower throws these seeds out and it lands in these four different spots and then they all kind of scratch their head and then later he says, all right, here's the meaning of the parable. So we're going to start at Mark 4, verse 14. It's a very, very simple verse. Jesus says these words. The sower sows the word. 
The sower in the parable is the person who's throwing out gospel seeds. All right? And, and I think you've heard this preached enough, some of you, to, to, to identify with that and understand that. But I want you to think about you for just a second. If you're in here and you're saved and you have a relationship with Jesus, it's because someone thought enough about you, loved you enough to throw the gospel your way. All right, now what you do with it when you receive it depends on the condition of your heart. But the sower is those of us throwing the seeds out, okay? All right, but what I want to focus on this morning is not necessarily the sower, but I want to focus on the seed. Jesus tells us um, in, in the verse that I just read you that the sower sows the word. Uh, uh, so the seed in the parable represents the Word of God. Um, this is a, a, a very well-known story. Uh, it's a very popular story, and God thought uh, enough of it uh, to have it included in three of the four Gospels. All right, Mark has his version of it. You can read this parable in Matthew 13, but you can also read it in Luke chapter 8, verse 11. And listen to what Luke says, or what Jesus says in Luke 11 about the same parable. He says, Now the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Now the Bible tells us that we don't, we, we don't read a cold, dead Word. The Word of God is alive and it's active and it's constantly working in people. Um, yesterday was one of the, is always one of the greatest days of the year uh, because for, yesterday deer season started. All right. It was bow hunting season and me and my three boys were in the woods before the sun came up. Uh, and, and I actually, truth be told, I missed a deer. I shot right over her and, and missed her, but uh, that's okay. Um, but what we do is we don't just show up the day that the season begins and then the last day we hunt, we don't come back. We're there all year long, filling feeders, filling corn, uh, cutting down branches. But one of the things that I do in kind of my little honey hole stands is I like to sow seeds. I'd like to try to, try to create a, a little mini food plot. And so if you're a hunter in here, you're going to know this product very well. You can get it at Walmart, you can get it at uh, Academy. It's called Throw and Grow. And throw and grow comes in all different kinds of varieties. But you just simply go to a spot and kick some leaves out of the way and just throw it on the ground and you walk away. And then a few weeks later, you have this growth that the deer feed on. So uh, about a month and a half ago, I threw some throw and grow out. And I do this every year. When I'm throwing it out, my mind always comes back to this parable because I'm throwing seed. And I have to remind myself, because this throw and grow is not cheap, hey, all the seeds that you throw out are, are not going to take root. Only some of them are going to take root. Some are going to take root and grow, and some are just going to wither away uh, and, and be rendered useless. And the seed that Jesus is talking to us about is the seed that's thrown into hearts of men and women. Some will take root and grow, and some will not take root. And so I really want you to begin to grasp this concept that the Word of God, this right here, the Word of God is like a seed. Before you can do big things for God, the seed has to take root in your hearts, right? So one commentator said it this way. 
Um, when we are saved, we get the acorn, not the oak. All right? In order to get the oak, the acorn has to be in the ground, it has to be watered, it has to be planted, it has to be cultivated. So you don't start out with the oak, you start out with the seed, right? Um, before the seed or the Word of God can take root in us, we have to receive it the right way. We have to receive it with the right heart. James, the brother of Jesus, says something very interesting in James 1.23, and he's speaking to believers. He's speaking to the church. Here's what he says. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word. He's talking about the word of God, which is planted in you like a seed, which can save you. Okay, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to do my best to not totally derail your theology and, not, and to not totally confuse everybody, in, including myself. Um, but you are a triune being, all right? God is in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He created us to be triune beings. You, everybody in here has three parts that make you you, okay? You have your body. You have your soul, and then you have your spirit. Let me just pause and say this. A lot of people will use the term soul and spirit interchangeably. I've been guilty of that, but they are, they're not the same. They're different. Okay, so you're made up of three parts. Your body, your soul, and your spirit. The, your spirit is the God connection, okay? Okay. Um, your spirit is the image of God in which you were created. It's the eternal part of you. It's the part of you that when your flesh fails and you pass away, your spirit still lives. So your spirit is, is the God part of you. Your soul is your self-life. It's your personhood. It's your personality. It's who you are. And then, of course, your body is your physical life. It's your, your flesh. Okay, so we, we have spirit, soul, and body. Now, now here's the deal. Every last one of us, every person who's ever lived other than Jesus, of course, we're all born exactly the same. You and I were all born with a damaged soul. Okay, we were born with a damaged personhood. Um, I want to take you to Psalm 51 real quick. Um, Psalm 51, verse 5, this is a, a psalm written by um, the King David, one of Israel's great kings. And here's what he says in verse 5 of Psalm 51. He says, Behold, I was brought forth, or I was you know, brought into this world in iniquity. Iniquity means deformed. Iniquity means bent. And, I, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Okay, now... Do you know why David wrote Psalm 51? So David is in this, if you don't know much about him, he's this incredible king. He's the one that killed a giant with a slingshot and did all these great things. But the Bible tells us that his heart was beating for God. Like he was in this rhythmic relationship with God. He was as close to God as a human being could be, right? Uh, just he had the heart of God. Well, if you know the story of David... Um, even though he loved God so much, he had a, a bent soul. 
And he was on his rooftop and he saw this beautiful lady bathing and he was the king. And so he sent for her to come up. She was a married woman. Um, they had an affair. She became pregnant. He had her husband murdered. Uh, and then uh, he was found out and he was confronted by it. All right. Well, later, after David gets over the calamity of that, he writes Psalm 51 as almost an apology. Of, uh, it's a psalm of repentance. And David says, listen, I was brought forth in iniquity. Even though I have a heart for God, um, I still have a damaged soul. I was born with a damaged soul. You were born with a damaged soul. It's a result of the curse. All right, so we were born with a, with a damaged soul. We were all also born with a dead spirit. We have a spirit inside of us that was just completely dead. All right? So our body was alive, our soul was damaged, and our spirit was dead. This is the condition that we were all born into. Now, let me just back up. There's a lot of things that damage our souls, right? The pleasures of the world, the people we keep company with, the sin we enslave ourselves to. I mean, the list goes on and on. But here's what we do. We spend most of our lives, and even in the church, we spend most of our lives trying to fix ourselves, trying to fix our souls. But here's the trouble. We can't do it. Something that's broke can't normally fix itself, right? And so let me read you what Dr. Tony Evans said, because I, I got some of this from him. He said this simply, we settle for soul management, not soul transformation. So here's what we do. Let me just keep my soul under wraps. I'm about to derail my life like everything's topsy-turvy. I'm going to white knuckle my way through it and I'm just going to change my behavior. But here's the problem. You can't. And the, the bigger problem is this, is that your body, your, our flesh, listens to our soul. Okay? So if the soul is damaged, then we're going to continue to do sinful things. But I've got great news. When you were saved, when you accepted Jesus Christ, you got a seed sown into your spirit. And it brought that dead spirit to life. All right, this, Peter talks about this in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1.23, he says this. For you have been born again, that means you've been saved, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So, the goal of spiritual transformation is for this now alive spirit, because God sows life into our spirit, he resurrects us, and this is how we're able to worship God, you will worship me in spirit and in truth, he, he sows this seed, he resurrects our spirit, and then that spirit enters into our soul, and our soul begins to reinstruct our body. So if the body's going to act different, if we're going to act different in the flesh, it's because the, our soul is talking different to our body. And the soul is talking different because it's now being influenced by the spirit which now has a seed that's living and growing. Do you know how that seed gets in there? Through the Word of God, through God's love letter to us. Okay, so I bring all this up to say this. 
If we are not producing fruit, witnessing and winning people to Christ, there may be an indication that there's something wrong with our heart. I love churchgoers. And, you know, when the fuller the better for me. But God does not call us to come and sit on ch in church for one hour a week and then go, go on with, uh, with the rest of our lives. He calls us to diligently and prayerfully be fishers of men. The last thing Jesus said was a commission like an army officer. You will go and make disciples. You will win people to Christ. And so for some people, the seed of the word doesn't seem to be taking root. And the net result of that is there's no change. There's no transformation. How many of you have ever been talking to somebody, maybe they went to church for years and, and, and now they don't and they say something in and, in and like, kind of like this. They say, well, you know, I used to go to church. I went for like 20 or 30 years, but nothing in my life ever changed. I, I just kind of went to church after I was saved, but I don't see the point of it anymore. I go week after week and God's word just doesn't seem to be working for me. Yet, anybody ever heard someone say that? Have you ever said it? Here's the key. Have you ever thought it? I love what Dr. Tony Evans says on the matter. He says this, quote, If God's word is not working in your life, we have to check the ground that it landed on. Okay, and here's what he means. The success of the seed has nothing to do with the quality of the seed. God's word is just, it's holy, it's perfect. So the success of the seed has nothing to do with the quality of the seed, but it has everything to do with the heart or the soil where the seed lands. The seed is the same, but the hearts are different. And so in this parable, Jesus tells us that the seed was thrown out and it landed in our hearts. Some received the word, some did not. And he goes on to descriptively scribe, describe four types of hearts or four types of soils. I have one of these four hearts. You have one of these four hearts. And today we're just going to take the rest of the time we have to look at the first type of heart that Jesus describes. And I'm saddened by this, but I feel like most evangelical churches are full of these hearts. Jesus calls it the hard heart. The hard heart. So let's jump into the parable towards the beginning. Verse 4, Jesus says this. So the guy's throwing seeds, and he's talking about places where it lands. The first example he gives, he says, And he sowed, and some seed fell along the path, and the birds came in and devoured it. Okay, so if you're, Jesus is painting a word picture here of seed being thrown on the path, and as soon as it's thrown, it's full of birds. Right? Because the soil's hard, and the birds just come down, and they just start eating the seed straight off of the ground. Right? It's because the seed is thrown on, on the footpath where the soil is like, packed down and it's really, really hard. About 14 and a half years ago, my wife Lindy and I, we, we bought this, this house. It was a brand new house and uh, I think we had only two children then, and, but it was, you know, we, we knew we could grow into the house and man, did we. Um, so we, we, we bought this house and the, the front yard was beautiful. 
They had sown some beautiful sod and it, you know, it looked really well and even the sides were beautiful. But the backyard is kind of what builders do. They, they just make the, the front look pretty. The backyard was, a, it was nothing but really hard, compact Georgia red clay. I mean, it was like rock hard. And so uh, they put white carpet in the house and the kids would go out to play and red clay and white carpet, don't, they don't mix. So I said, man, we got to get some grass back here. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm a preacher. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a lawn guy. So I just went to Home Depot and I think I literally bought like 150 pounds of seed. And I just got it out one evening, didn't do anything except throw it on the ground, just scattered it out. And I was like, all right. You know, a couple weeks, we'll have some grass. All right, so I went to bed. I got up the next morning. I looked out in my yard, and man, it was like a scene from Alfred Hitchcock's movie, The Birds. <laughs> there were birds. It was a virtual bird buffet. I don't think I got one blade of grass by doing that. Birds were everywhere because the ground was too hard for the seeds to penetrate. Okay, this is what Jesus is saying to us. In fact, let's go towards the end of the parable. He's explaining exactly what this means in verse 15. He says this, And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan, he's like a bird, immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So I want you to hear me. Because th this explains why so many people come to church week after week, month after month, year after year, but there is absolutely no transformation in them. Because you, you hear the word, the word is being thrown out, and you might even say, amen, and you might even shake my hand at the, at the end of the service and say, wow, that was a great sermon. So the seed was thrown out to you, but before you even make it back to your car, Satan comes and steals that seed. Now here's why I know he's doing that. Because people leave church, and they don't think about church until about 10, 15 the next, the next week when they leave for church again. There's no transformation in their lives because they have hard hearts and the, the seed of the Word of God is not penetrating and the devil just comes and snatches that seed. And so week after week, year after year, you may leave this place exactly the same way you entered it, unchanged, unmoved, indifferent. So let me ask you a question. Why is the soil on the path hard? Why is the soil hard? Well, the obvious answer is because it's a path. It's hard because many people are walking back and forth on the path. All right? So the person with the hard heart would be a person who recklessly opens their hearts to all kinds of corrupt people, all kinds of corrupt influences, all kinds uh, of things. And those people and those influences and those things, they just begin to crush down the soil of our heart and the seed of God never makes it through. American evangelical churches are full of people like this. And what these people have a tendency to do is blame the seed and not the soil. They, they, they'll never look at their own hearts. So you hear things like this. 
Uh, well, if you just preach more relevant sermons, I hate that word relevant, because um, Jesus is always relevant, always relevant. If you just preach more relevant sermons, may, maybe I would have transformation. Or if we just had a better worship service, if it was more moving, or if we just created a better environment, if we just had better lighting, man, if we could just get a fog machine, I would be, I would be so moved. No, 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 no. Because I feel like we're throwing out good seed. We're throwing out the gospel every Sunday. It's not a seed problem. It's a soil problem. And the problem could be that maybe your heart is hardened because you have way too much foot traffic going in and out of your heart. You're letting anybody and everybody speak into you. Now, we're called to love all people, but we definitely do not let all people speak into our lives because it will pack down the soil of our heart. Or perhaps, and this is a big problem in the church, I do more counseling on this than anything, you're allowing too much, you're allowing pornography in your heart. You worship the Lord on Sunday, and then you're searching all week long. That just, just packs that soil down, just packs it down. Or perhaps you're, you've got your church friends, and then you've got your, uh, your non-church friends. Translation, these are just the people I like to sin with. Uh, and it's just packing your heart down. Or maybe there's too much negativity. It's just packing your heart down. Too many worldly values packs your heart down. And so week after week, the seed's being thrown out, but we don't stand a chance. It has nowhere to go. And so this explains why before you even pull out of this parking lot, Satan has come and snatched that seed. This is a dangerous, dangerous heart to have. And I want you to listen to me because there's no way for me to say this without sounding like an absolute judgmental person. It's going to sound so condescending, and I don't mean it to. I tell you this in love, but I want you to hear this. Hard-hearted people do not enter the kingdom of God. They are not permitted in the kingdom of God. And so that's why we have to be super, super diligent about guarding our hearts from being trampled on, from being like a footpath where, where all kinds of influences go in and out. It just it pushes it down, and the, the Word of God cannot get in, get in us. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, in other words, the most important thing that you can do in your walk with the Lord is this, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. You let too much foot traffic in and out of your heart, it's going to be hard like stone. So we've got to constantly and diligently be on guard. Um, so one of the guys that I used to really like to watch uh, was Steve Irwin, uh, the crocodile hunter. Uh, man, I used to love that show, and you know, it's been years since it's been on, uh, but you know, I'm old. And man, I, I used to love that show, but you know, if you've ever seen The Crocodile Hunter, you're going to understand what I'm saying. In the back of my mind, I would watch that show, and I'd always be like, yeah, that guy's going to die someday, like from an animal. Like, I, I could just see it because, man, he does some of the most dangerous things I've ever seen. And what you may or may not know about uh, the crocodile hunter, is that he, during the filming of that show, he had been bitten dozens of times by venomous poisonous snakes. He was actually chased up a tree by a deadly Komodo dragon. 
He was spat on by a, a spitting red cobra, and he was grabbed by the arm by a massive crocodile and pulled into the water. How he survived that, I have no idea. So he did these dangerous things. Well, on September 4th, 2006, he was in the ocean filming, and he came across this five-foot-wide stingray, and he begins to, to follow it. And he always gets too close to these animals. Now, stingrays, if you don't know, they're often called the pussycats of the sea because they're very docile, they're very gentle in nature. But what happened was Steve got too close to the stingray, and its barb came up and struck him right in the chest and went straight into his heart and killed him instantly. He's, the, he's only the 17th person that the world, um, in the world to have been known to be killed by a stingray. And it was so, so tragic. This docile, seemingly harmless creature, he got too close and it got him right in the heart. Proverbs says, listen, above all else, guard your hearts because sin is like that. Even the small little docile sins that we think, oh, it's okay to do that. We play around it. We lose our fear of it. We get too close to it. Even the harmless ones, they're going to hurt us. They're going to cause our hearts to harden from the inside out. And the longer we let it trample on our hearts, the more compact the soil becomes. So above all else, guard your hearts. See, remember I was telling you when I moved in that house, I tried to plant grass by just throwing seed on the ground, and it didn't work. I mean, we had like a bird infestation. I was afraid to go outside in the backyard until they, the birds were gone. Um, so I called a grass expert. <laughs> I was like, hey, can you come out here? I don't know what to do. And uh, he, he worked for a sod company, so obviously he was trying to sell me sod. So he said, yeah. He said, yeah, that soil's compact, man. I said, well, that's why I called you out here, because I tried the seed and it didn't work. So I want to put sod down. So I figured if we, you just tell me what kind of sod I need and how much to order, you deliver it, I'll put it down. I'll just put it on top of this. And he's like, no, 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 no. You're going to have to plow this ground up. And I was like, but it's sod. I thought sod grew on sidewalks. He's like, it's got, eventually it's got a root somewhere. This soil is so hard. So for an extra, I, I don't know, $600, I'll plow it up for you. And I was broke back then. I could barely afford the sod. And I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. And I was actually going to take my chances. But this is why I love our church, because we got people like this. Um, we got a guy in our church, his name is um, James. Uh, James Paul. He, he and his son, they might, they, oh, he's right there. Hey, James. Uh, so James just kind of shows up at my house, and he's got a garden tiller. He's like, you, this, you know, basically, I'm going to till this, this all this, this is a huge backyard. I'm going to till this backyard. And I felt so bad for him because he was out there for hours, dirty, sweaty. Um, and, and James, I believe, is the kind of guy that didn't do this for me just because I'm the preacher. I believe he will do it for you, too. So if you need your garden plow, <laughs> you call James, right? I'm just, I'm just kidding, James. So, right. But he plowed up the whole thing. All right, and then he and some other guys from church, we systematically laid out 11 pallets of sod. I've got, or I had a beautiful, beautiful backyard to match my front yard, um, but the, nothing would grow into it until the ground was completely plowed up. <clears throat> if you're here, and week after week you leave the pla this place the same way you came in, 
I'm here to tell you it's not a seed problem. It's a soil problem. Hard hearts have to be plowed up before the soil can receive the seed. If you're a well-versed church person, you know that God had this relationship with the Jewish people, the Israelites, um, that was, uh, to say it was on again, off again, would not be an exaggeration. Um, God loved those people, and for a while they would love him. But you know what would happen? Their hearts would become hard, and they would, they would pull away from God. And the reason their hearts became hard is because they let um, false gods and worshiping these other things just kind of compress the soil. And so you know what God would do? He would just kind of withdraw and turn them over to their sins. And then they would repent, and then you know, God would come back. And this was on again, off again, uh, just hard heart, and God would have to plow the, the soil back up. Um, if you're here and, and, and you're like that, here's God's word to you. He, he uses this analogy through several of the Old Testament prophets. I'm going to give you two examples. One's the prophet Jeremiah, and it simply says this. This is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground. The only way to make hard soil soft is to plow it up, to break it up. Break up your unplowed ground. Because the soil's hard, and your hearts are too hard to receive my word. And then through the prophet Hosea, he says this. Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. First of all, let me ask you, how are we saved we're saved through God's righteousness, not our own, right? Isaiah tells us that our righteousness is like a dirty dish towel. It's like a filthy rag, sour, terrible. We're saved through his righteousness. Hosea says, or God says through Hosea the prophet, he cannot shower us with his righteousness until that hard ground is broken up, until that soil of our hearts is broken up. So here's my prayer for you. Specifically, if, if, if you're the case point example, if week after week there's no transformation, there's no change in your life, the seed's being thrown out, but there's nothing done with it, here, here's my prayer for you. If, if, that, if, you're, if the soil of your heart is so packed down that the seed of, of the word cannot get down there, my prayer for you is that the Holy Spirit breaks up that hard ground, that the Holy Spirit, hear me, absolutely wrecks your life just wrecks it. Now, I know my preacher's praying for me to, for my demise. That, I don't want to worship here. This is what I'm saying. I'm not praying for your demise. I'm praying for your eternal salvation. That he would break up that hard heart so that the seed of the Word of God would be able to get down in there, awaken the Spirit of God, change your soul, change your behavior, change your life, change your purpose, change your outlook, change the way you interact with people, change the way you treat people, change the way you love your spouse, change the way you view your money, change the way everything in your life is ha that's happening, that He would transform everything from the inside out. The seed's got to get down there. Do you know who some of the most hard-hearted people are on the face of the earth? It's going to hurt. Church people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of people that don't come to church not because they have an issue with God. They have an issue with us. 
Because church people can be some of the most stiff-necked, hard-hearted people on the face of the earth. Jesus dealt with church people all the time. Church people are the ones that crucified Jesus. These stiff-necked, hard-hearted Pharisees. So I want to take you to one last story in the Bible. I'm just going to read it and probably let it to speak for itself for the most part. Um, but this is an event that happened during the ministry of Jesus. Uh, and it's one of these strange interactions because, let me, excuse me. <clears throat> Jesus is actually dealing with chur a church person and a very unchurch person at the same time. All right, so the three of them are interacting together. So you've got, you know, uh, a, a holier-than-thou church guy, and you've got this woman who is, uh, has been classified as, as the worst of the worst, a uh, sinner, and you've got Jesus kind of interacting with both of them. Um, it, it'll be familiar to you uh, if, if you've kind of grown up in the church. I, I'm going to read it, say a couple things, and then we're going to pray and, and get you out of here. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. And I, I just absolutely love this story. And I'm going to be picking up in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees, so we would say this would be a church person. He, he worshiped in the temple. He tithed on everything. Like uh, the scripture says the Pharisees tithed on everything. Like I know you tithe well, but you don't divide your cumin and bring cumin to the church. They, 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 even the little spices, they followed the law. Okay. So one of the Pharisees was requesting him, Jesus, to dine with him. And he uh, entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. It doesn't really explicitly say, but it doesn't really matter because sin is sin. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Man, how much do you love Jesus? That much? I mean, that's awesome. And she kept wiping them with her hair and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, now, let me just say this. The Pharisee invited Jesus not to fellowship with him. He invited Jesus there to tear him down. He had ulterior motives. But when he saw this, I love this. He said to himself, so he didn't even say this out loud. He just thought it. And tell me if this isn't some church people's mentality. If this man were a prophet, then he would know what kind of sort, what sort of person this woman is. She doesn't belong in a church setting. This woman who is touching him, she's a sinner. Now, Jesus has this incredible ability, and I think he gets it from his father probably. He can read your mind. <laughs> so rather than confront him directly, Jesus is a little passive-aggressive here. He's like, all right, Simon, let me tell you a little story. So he begins with what's called the parable of the two debtors. He says this. She's still down at his feet, crying, wiping them. And Jesus said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon replied, well, say it, teacher. He said, a moneylender had two debtors. 
One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. So one owed a large sum of money, the other owed a small sum of money. When they were both unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Now, Simon answers, and I can just see, like, attitude of a, like a 16-year-old hormonal teenager looking at Jesus. And he goes, well, I suppose the one who had the greater debt. You have judged correctly. It's the first thing you got right since you walked in this house, since I walked in your house, Simon. Now, I love this. Because he's still talking to Simon. Remember, the woman's behind him. So he turns. He's still talking to Simon. But he's looking this woman right in the eyes as he's talking to Simon. And here's what he said. You see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But since I, the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. And here's the money phrase. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, it's in the text, that had to sting her a little bit. Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. You know, I read that, and I think this describes to a T the difference between a hard heart and a soft heart. The churchgoer, the Pharisee, had this heart of stone. He wasn't backing down. He was so uber judgmental. But this was a woman who, who had life issues. Her heart was just plowed. It was broken into a million pieces. And she had fertile soil for the seeds of Jesus and the word of God. And I would say to you that the difference here was not the number of sins that needed forgiven, but it was the number of sins that had already been forgiven. Because notice he says to her, your sins have been forgiven. See, if we're going to see our hearts become soft and fertile, and we're going to let the, the, the Lord do his work in our hearts. Some of us need to have our hearts plowed. And so we need to be reminded that we're still sinners. And we will continue to be sinners until Jesus comes. But we also need to remind ourselves of, of the love, the grace, and the mercy that Jesus has. Jesus said, I didn't come to heal the, sick, uh, the, the healthy. I came to heal the sick. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.